a series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians, and it is absolutely remarkable to discover the profound ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And the third chapter, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That, I want to in, insert the phrase, in order that, because I want you to identify with me these purpose clauses. They're not as obvious in the English text as they are in the Greek New Testament, the Greek language. But they set forth a purpose clause, and each purpose clause begins with, in order that, and it builds to the next one. Watch this. In order that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, in order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and in order that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, in order that you may be filled up to the fullness, to all the fullness of God. Now you recognize this as one long sentence, and it is one of those famous prayers of the apostle. And it culminates in verse 19, so that you might, or in order that, you might be filled to all the fullness of God. That's God's desire for every believer. And I think it's the desire of every believer to be filled to all the fullness of God. Is there anybody here today who does not long to be filled to the fullness of God? But before that happens, some things have to happen. And that's why he prays these uh, purpose clauses, each one building to the next and one depending on the preceding one. This is the way it works. He said, I bow my knees and pray in order that you might, uh, that God might strengthen you with His might in the inner man. In order that Christ might dwell in your heart by faith. In order that you might grasp or comprehend the love of God which surpasses knowledge. In order that you might be filled to all the fullness of God. Now to help us understand that, I think it'd be well for us to start at the end and work backward. Now here's the desire of God for every believer and the goal of every Christian that we might be filled to all the fullness of God. But that will not happen until we grasp or comprehend the love of God. And that won't happen until Christ is able to make Himself at home in your life. And that won't happen until you're strengthened by His Spirit in the inner man. Literally, that He might make you mighty with power. And we know that word dunamis there means a continuous source of energy. And so what Paul is praying is this, I pray that in your inner man He might give you a continuous source of energy. Now two or three things about this strengthening in the inner man. First of all, it's to be realized in the inner man. See, God works from the inside out. 
Now, man likes to deal in surface issues, and so we say to ourselves, well, I need to be a better Christian. I need to be better, so I'm going to multiply my efforts, and I'm going to subtract a few vices, and I'm going to add a few virtues, and we focus on the outer man, but God never deals with surface matters. And so Jesus told the parable about the sower who went forth to sow. Really, it's a parable about the respect the receptivity of the soil, of the person who hears. And he said, sometimes the seed, the Word of God, fell on ground that was stony, and, and immediately the seed sprung up, but in the heat it wilted and perished. In the language of our day, we'd say the person never was saved in the first place. It was just a surface response. And God works from the inside out. My Sunday school class this morning, we made an interesting observation as God was preparing Moses to go down to Egypt. He told him, put your hand in your bosom. And when he did, he pulled his hand out and it was leprous. And the, and the analogy, the picture there, the metaphor, the visible picture there was that God was teaching Moses that what he is on the outside is the result of what he is on the inside. And so God changes us on the inside. So that where man needs to be strengthened, where you and I need to be strengthened is not in the outward ex external expressions, but in the inner man. This um, strengthening is to be regulated by according to his riches and glory. Did you see that? According to his riches and glory. Now one thing that we, you and I are learning over and over again is that God is no piker. And the measure by which he wants to strengthen you is the measure of the resources of his own nature. In other words, you can be as strong as God. Now sometimes that seems almost sacrilegious to say that. It's what the Bible teaches. There are really two strengths in the Bible. One is human strength and the other is sovereign strength, is divine strength. It's the strength by which God relates to his world. It's the strength by which he raised his son from the dead. And that's the word Paul uses here. What he's saying is this, that God wants to give you the same strength by which he relates to his world. He wants to strengthen you in a manner that, is, that he's familiar with, that he's accustomed to, not in a manner that you're accustomed to. And then this strengthening is to be received by the Holy Spirit. I used to think, I made this terrible mistake for a long time that the infilling of the Holy Spirit was for, you know, preachers and missionaries. That you needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you could witness better or teach better or preach better. It's really not that at all. In fact, we're commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit as believers and it's a sin not to be. So that this receiving of the infilling of the Holy Spirit or this strengthening of the Holy Spirit is for every believer. It's to be received by the Holy Spirit. And the result is that you are, that, that God is able to make his home in your heart. That God might dwell in your heart by faith. Now does that seem a little strange to you? That the Apostle Paul would pray that we would be strengthened in the inner man that Christ might dwell in our hearts? I mean, he wrote that to Christians. I thought Christians already had Jesus dwelling in their heart. I mean, he's writing to Christians who had 
already had received Jesus Christ and he was already indwelling them. What does it mean when he prays that, they, that Christ might dwell in their hearts? Well, it's obvious that there is a difference between the indwelling of Jesus and the dwelling of Jesus. He means that there is a difference between being fully Christian and wholly Christian, W-H-O-L-L-Y. For there are degrees and advancements in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, there are a lot of people in whose life Jesus Christ is present. And there are some people in whom Jesus Christ is prominent. He's very important to them. And there are very few people in whose life Jesus Christ is preeminent. That's what he's talking about. He's saying that when the Holy Spirit strengthens you in the inner man, then Jesus can be preeminent in your life first. And the construction is in the aorist tense, and it's literally translated like this. I'm praying that once and for all, Jesus could feel at home in your heart. Now suppose I went over to visit you sometime this week, and you said to me, Pastor, I just want you to come on in and make yourself at home. Do you really mean that? If you say to me, I want you to make yourself at home, probably the first thing I'm going to do is pull off my shoes because that's what I do, first thing I do when I get home. And I might kind of lounge back, put my feet on the coffee table. You're going to kind of look at me and think, boy, he's sure relaxed, you know. And let's suppose you got a phone call and, and you say to me, Pastor, just make yourself at home. I've got to run out on an emergency. I'll be right back. Just make yourself at home. And when you got back home, you found me rummaging through the desk, your desk, and I was in your diary reading it, you know, and I, I'd gotten in some of your lock boxes and I had all your papers you know, spread out there on the table. I was looking them over pretty good. You say, what in the world are you doing, Pastor? I say, well, I'm just making myself at home. And you're probably thinking, well, now that's not actually what I had in mind. You see, there is a difference between inviting somebody to be at home and making it so that that person feels at home. Now, what Paul is saying is this, that when you're strengthened in the inner man, Jesus is so preeminent in your life, and you withhold nothing from Him, you offer to Him every lockbox, every, every closet, every diary, every every aspect of your life, so that Jesus just feels comfortable to be at home in your life. You've put everything at his disposal. It means that Jesus no longer is guest. He is master. Now listen to me very carefully. If you'll hang in here just a minute, I'm going to show you the, what I believe to be a key to entering into victory. I believe that there is a reluctance in every heart to allow Jesus to be master. Now there is a part of me that wants Jesus to be preeminent and there's a part of me that doesn't want him to be preeminent. And there are times when I just long for Jesus to be the master of my life and at the same time there is something inside of me, there is a part of me that resists that. And the reason why that's true is because I know that if I really let him be master, and if I really make him at home in my life, and I really allow him to be preeminent, it means that he's going to have to have some of those things in my life I want to keep for myself. And there's a little bit of reluctance in everybody 
to allow Jesus to be Lord. Isn't that true with you? I've had people say to me, Pastor, the Lord is not the Lord of my life. And I, and I, don't, even be, I don't even want Him to be the Lord of my life, but I want to want Him to be the Lord of my life. So how is it that we can come to the place where we're just willing for Jesus to feel at home and we make him at home? Paul says, that's why he prayed this. He said, before that can happen, you have to be strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. Before you can ever say to Jesus, I want you to be preeminent, you're going to have to be strengthened in the inner man to do that. Well, how does that happen? Well, if that's not happening, there are only two possible explanations. You're either saying no to some command of God in your life which quenches the Holy Spirit or you're saying yes to some sin in your life which grieves the Holy Spirit. Now watch this carefully. If you're saying no to some command that God has given you and you're rebelling against that, you know what I'm talking about. You're just saying no, not that Lord, not so. Then you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And it might be that there's some sin in your life, you know what I'm talking about, that you, have, that you have said yes to that grieves the Holy Spirit. And when you're quenching the Holy Spirit or you're grieving the Holy Spirit, he's, his, his work is neutralized. He can't strengthen you in the inner man. So if by faith, he says, if by faith you come to the place where you can say yes to every command of the will of God and no to every sin that comes your way and no to the sin that's in your life now, when that happens, the Holy Spirit moves in and he strengthens the inner man and Jesus makes himself at home there. And the result of that is that you comprehend the love of God That word comprehend is an interesting word there in verse 18. It's the the normal word that comes from the word know. From the word, Greek word is gnosis. It means to grasp with your mind intellectually every facet of the love of God. It means that you know, you so apprehended His love that you have such a grip on it. It has a grip on you and you know every facet in your mind you know. Every facet of God's love. You know what happens when somebody realizes, when he understands that he's loved? You ever notice that? You watch some of these teenagers. Puts a new rhythm in their march. Puts a new look on their face. Puts a new song, you see, when when they're able to understand they're loved. The breadth of it, he said. The breadth of it. You remember when Jesus met Simon Peter at the, at the Lake of Galilee and he said, Simon, do you love me? And Simon said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. And to Simon Peter, feeding his sheep meant ministering to the Jews. And so every sermon Simon Peter preached at Jerusalem was a sermon to the Jew until God scattered him, scattered the church. And one day over in Joppa, Simon Peter had a nightmare. We call it a vision or a dream, but to Peter it was a nightmare. He went up to the housetop to get a little siesta at noon, and God let down this, this sheet of unclean um, beasts and, and animals in it and told Simon, he said, Simon, eat. He said, not so, Lord. Look at that. If, if he's Lord, there are no not so's. He said, not so, Lord. I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean ceremonially. And God said, 
Well, now, wait a minute, Simon. Whatever I've cleansed, nobody's to call unclean. You know what God was doing there with Simon? He was showing Simon the breadth of his love. There's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. And you can understand this morning that God loves even you. Have you understood that yet? One day a friend of mine and I went out to witness to this lady and he was doing a revival for me and she was a common prostitute. And we shared the gospel with her and, and, and when on the way back to the church, you know, he looked over at me and he said, you know, isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing that God loves a person like that? You know what I said? Kind of piously, kind of <clears throat> said, no, the amazing thing is that God loves you and me. There's a wideness in God's mercy that is a wideness that is like the wideness of the sea. Do you know that? And, and, he, and he's talking about the length of it. I mean, how long does it last? God said through the, through the prophet Isaiah, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And the apostle Paul says that nothing will ever cause him to stop loving you. It means that when you get up in the morning, you don't have to wonder, does God still love me today? The infinite patience and mercy of God. You remember your first romance? Your first love? Her name was Norma. <laughs> she was in about the fourth grade. That was poor Margaret, of course. She wasn't even there anymore. <laughs> Norma was so, oh, Norma was so beautiful. I realize now that she wasn't that pretty. The others were so ugly. I mean, I, everybody, everybody loved Norma. And, and Norma, Norma moved into town about mid-semester, and Norma fell for me. I fell for Norma. We were very much in love. She promised she'd love me forever. But you know, I lived, I lived eight miles out in the country and had to catch the school bus as soon as school was out. My buddies who wanted Norma and her love they would take her down to the snack shack and buy her a Coke. They were gaining ground on me. And so I was wondering every morning when I caught the school bus and headed to school, I wonder if Norma still loves me. She promised to love me forever. I wasn't so sure. You've heard it said in the scripture that with God a thousand years is as a day. Well, with Norma forever is a week. <laughs> and so... One day I got to school and she was wearing somebody else's baseball cap. That'll bless you. And, and Norma, Norma's love had run out. You ever get up in the morning and wonder if God still loves you today? You can forget it. The psalmist said your love reaches to the highest heaven. It means that there is no link, limit to it, the length of it. And the height of it he said, I want you to comprehend the height of his love. That means you, you need to understand the heavenly status to which the love of God lifts you. We're, we're kings, the scripture says. And the revelation, the book of Revelation begins with that exalt. Now unto him who loves you and washed you in his own blood and made you kings. I have a king's life, said Samuel Rutherford. The status of it. Celsus looked at the first century Christian and said, look at this pathetic conglomerate 
of slaves and illiterates, artisans and non-entities, the offscourings of the world. He was right. Celsus, you're right. But God made us kings. And so Zacchaeus, who was about this tall, came out of that encounter room with Jesus Christ walking on air, ten feet tall. And Zacchaeus said, in essence, this is a Tibble translation, I'm a king now, a king. And if I've wronged any man, I'll restore him fourfold. If I've taken from any man, I'll restore him fourfold, and I'll give half of what I have to the poor, for I'm now a king. You look at a person who's just been saved. A rookie. Some of us old veterans, we take it for granted. You watch a little rookie come down the aisle who's just been saved, and you notice the difference in the countenance. King's life. How deep is it, he said. I want you to grasp, he said, the depth of his love. How deep is it? Well, how, how, did it, how deep does it go? Well, it goes all the way to hell. It goes to the root of your sin problem and mine. And I don't want you to miss this little phrase here. Look at it again in this text. In order that you may comprehend with all the saints. Underline that phrase, with all the saints. What he's saying is this. You will not be able to grasp the love of God by yourself. It's with the saints. It's in fellowship with one another. The word saint in the New Testament is always in the plural. It's with each other that we understand. We begin to understand how God loves us, that He loves us. And a person who tells you that I, can be a, I don't have to be in the church to be a Christian, I don't have to go to church to live a good Christian life, he doesn't know the truth. The truth is that it's impossible for you to fully grasp the dimension of the love of God by yourself. I learned that from you, and you learned that from me. Now notice the second word for know. It's in verse 19. Now the, ver the word in 18 is translated comprehend. That you might comprehend or know the breadth, height, length, and depth of the love of God, and that you may know, verse 19, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. The difference is that they're different words. Now the word know in verse 19 is not the same word in verse 18. He's not saying the same thing. He's not repeating himself like some preachers I know. He's saying a different word. What he's saying in verse 18 is that you might grasp and understand with your mind the love of God. What he's saying in verse 19 is that you might experience that down here in your gut. You see, it's possible for us to know intellectually that God loves us and know all the dimensions of that love and not feel it down here. And that's truth. Some of Dr. Anderson and I were talking about a mutual, um, we have a mutual admiration society for John Claypool, this preacher. He used to be in Fort Worth. Now he's, he was a Baptist and he became an Episcopal rector, but he's a tremendous speaker and writer. And he had this terrible inferiority complex because he had a bad draw. He had a terrible speaking voice. And a few other reasons why he had this inferiority complex. And he was at a pastor's meeting, a ministerial alliance meeting one day, and he said that he, they, were he was, they were talking, and the preachers kind of got to confessing, you know, their problems and things that they were burdened with in life. And he just said, I finally blurted it, blurted it out. He said, you know, he said, I just don't feel like God loves me. And he said, this Catholic priest looked over at him and said, you're right, John. 
we feel that, we know that in our minds, but somehow we've got to get that down in our gut. Now listen carefully. The Apostle Paul is praying that when you walk out of here this morning, you'll never be the same again because down in your spirit, your inner man, in your gut, is the way we say it in Knox County, down here, down deep, you experience it. Now watch this. He says that you can know this, you can know this which surpasses knowledge. What a paradox. He's saying that you can know the unknowable. Don't be embarrassed if somebody tells you, asks you to explain the love of God. It's unexplainable. But just because you can't explain it doesn't mean you don't experience it. What Paul is saying is that you can walk out of here this morning experiencing for the first time what man can explain and what man cannot understand. You can experience in your gut for the first time God's love. That's past knowledge. And you ask, how does it happen? Well, that goes right back and unfolds the purpose clause. And I refer you to that fifth chapter of Romans where the Apostle Paul makes that glorious statement when he says, and the love of God, you can say it after me if you want to, and the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. That's it. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to shed abroad the love of God in your heart. The word in the New American Standard, the translation is not shed abroad, but poured out into. It's an interesting phrase. It's a word that means poured out of, into of. Strange word, isn't it? The picture is, listen to me carefully. Wake up and hear. Paul is saying that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to dip in to the heart of God and get some love and pour it out into your heart. And every day that you live surrendered to the Holy Spirit where there, you've said, you no longer say no to His command and no longer say yes to sin, then that Holy Spirit is free just to dip into God's love and pour it out into your heart. A while back, a few years ago, we went out to, the, to California to the convention and we went out to the ocean, went surfing. I asked him in the early service, nobody answered. Sur in that surfing when you get one of these blow up uh, rubber tubes and, and get on it and just kind of float out and wash back, isn't that surfing? That's, that's the way I surf. And so we got us one of these blow up inner tubes and went surfing. We, we ran out there and laid down on it and washed back up on the shore. And got some water, put it in a vessel brought it back. Somebody said, what's that? I said, that's the Pacific Ocean. Isn't it? You know what it is? Had me a gallon jar full of water. What is that? Pacific Ocean. It was. Well, it was a dip of it. It was a dip. Now let me tell you something. I want you to hear this. There are vast oceans of the love of God that you and I have never touched because of our relationship to the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul says that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is this, that he would just come to this ocean, this ocean of the love of God, and just take the whole ocean and just pour it out in your heart every day that you live right down here. He's not going to do that until he's strengthened. He strengthens the inner man. And when he strengthens the inner man, you say, okay, Lord, make yourself at home. And he does. And when he does, you begin to experience the love of God because the Holy Spirit is free just to pour that love out in you. George Matheson was going blind. And so he told his fiancée of the diagnosis and the prognosis of his impending blindness. And she wrote him a Dear John letter saying she couldn't bear to live with the thought of living with a blind man for the rest of her life. And George Matheson went home to his study and penned the words that's now in your Baptist hymnal. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in Thee, that in Thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. I want more than anything else this morning that we all come to an experience of that which no man can explain. The love of God in ocean depths. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You're now preeminent in every life. And where You're not preeminent, that there might be that supreme courage and will to say yes to Your command and no to the sin that grieves Your heart that we might experience with each other love that surpasses human knowledge. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Look here, will you? There may be some of you this morning who just need to step out in this aisle and come to say, I want that experience for myself. And I'm willing to yield my life totally to God. This sin I confess, this disobedience I reject and repent. Maybe you need to come this morning and lay your life before God as a sacrifice. Once and for all. Or there might be some who need to come this morning to join the church or to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. He'll come to indwell and to dwell. Would you be willing to be the first to come so that others might follow you while we stand? Mark will come and lead us in our song. You come on the first word.